So good to see you all. God bless you. I hope you're well. We have our young ones with us here this evening. I'm so blessed by that. I asked the children's ministry teacher tonight and the directors, I said, the passage we're in in 2 Kings chapter 22, please turn there in your Bibles. It's such a beautiful passage, uh, one of my favorites in all of Scripture. And I know I say that a lot, a lot of Scriptures, but, but it really is one of my favorites because it speaks to the youth. As we learn about Josiah, an eight-year-old boy, an eight-year-old boy. And when I look in front of me and I look at all these wonderful, beautiful faces, to think what God can do through an eight-year-old. That's right. That's it. So... We're going we're gonna to keep our voices down. We're going to open our Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand, and one of the ushers or elders will bring a Bible. We need one up here. We need a couple up here, Pastor Steve. Let's, let's have these young ones have their swords. I love it. Praise the Lord. All right. 2 Kings chapter 22. All right. So, as they're going to turn here in the scriptures, uh, we'll give them a moment. But as we're doing that, I'll give the introduction. Basically, what's happening at this point, we're about 640 B.C. Okay, somewhere in there. This is the eighth king of eight godly kings that we're going to be reading about. It's actually the last of what we would say is the godly kings or the righteous kings, if I can say it that way. Uh, there was only eight, and Josiah is the eight of the eight. Now remember, he came from Ammon. He's Ammon's son. Ammon was a very wicked king, which means his mother possibly, his father definitely, Ammon, right, that way, was wicked. So we also learned that we all have individual choices. It doesn't matter what our mom or our dad do or subscribe to. We have individual choices. And we're going to see Josiah here, this eight-year-old boy, is going to choose to serve the Lord. He's going to choose to give his life to Jesus that way. And it's wonderful. And so 
as we look at this, it's, it's, it's quite amazing because he came from just such a wicked home, you could say it that way. Uh, it's wonderful, this passage, uh, in that we can see that just the righteousness of God, the holiness, uh, given every opportunity, will always bear beautiful fruit in the heart and the mind of a believer or an unbeliever, even if coming to Christ. So I'm going to bow our heads, we'll pray, and then we'll begin right in chapter 22. Father, we come uh, before you this evening. Lord, I am incredibly encouraged as a, as a child, Lord, of God, as we all here are your children, Lord, to see what you have done through Josiah, what, what you can do, Lord, in the heart of a young man, a young woman, in all of our hearts. Lord, I pray this evening we would be reminded just of how powerful, Lord, how powerful your word is, how when we let it change our hearts, touch us, encourage us, Lord, uh, it, it bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And no matter how wicked, Lord, the days are, no matter how much evil's in the world, God, you have a remnant. And tonight we're going to be reading about one of your children that you raised up, Lord, that's going to change a nation, God. It's going to change a nation, Lord. And it started with an eight-year-old boy. Let us all be humbled by that this evening. We pray and we ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray, amen. amen. So if you look with me at verse 1 in chapter 22, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Just think about that. How many of you know eight-year-olds, right? I can point out a whole row of eight, nine, ten, you know. We all know children, youth, people like that in our lives, nieces, nephews, kids that way. And what's so beautiful about this is he doesn't have all this experience, this legacy. There's not a whole lot that's got to be undone there that was poured into him at this one time. There's just this beautiful youth and humility to him. And I love that about, you know, Jesus and using the example of the children as we read in our New Testament. He places them forward and says, you know, just the simplicity and beauty and humility of that. Well, he becomes king at eight years old. I, I wonder if he's like, I don't know what to do now. Was he nervous? Is, you know, was it like ice cream and gummy bears for everybody all week? I don't know, but, but certainly he becomes king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Yedida, the daughter of Adida, Adia, of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all of the ways. Please underline that in your Bibles. In all of the ways of his father David, he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. What this is describing is this young man, this eight-year-old, he lived in complete obedience to God. He lived in complete obedience to God, to the commitment of the Lord. It's so wonderful to see this when a young person lives this out. When they begin to honor those that are in authority before them, their moms, their dads, in this particular case, his, as a king, he certainly could have looked to his father and said, I have no reason to obey. My dad did evil and wicked. He had a lot of reasons he could have said. But you know what? He says, no, I'm going to honor and obey the one true God. No matter what I want to do, no matter what I feel like doing inside, I'm going to be obedient. And I really like that. So he says, 
go up. Well, let's, let's back up. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or the left, as we read. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. So we were introduced to him just at eight years old. 16 years have passed. That means at this point, he's now 26 years old. Now, if we didn't read anything else and look at 2 Chronicles as an example, which 2 Chronicles certainly gives us additional detail here, we would miss the chronology of this young man's life. At eight years old, he became king. But what happened next in 2 Chronicles? At 16 years of age, he comes to the Lord. We would say today he comes to Christ. He's born again, we would say in those terms, as Scripture teaches. At 16 years old, Josiah comes to the Lord. Do you see the chronology? It just didn't happen at eight like that, but it began with a beautiful, fertile heart, a godly foundation. And then from there, he, at 20, as we're going to read, he's going to cleanse the land. Right? 26, he's going to repair the sanctuary. He's going to go and take the house of God where worship is, and he's going to repair all that the last 50 plus years, 57 if I'm not mistaken, because of Manasseh and because of Ammon and the wickedness that they did. He's going to come and repair all of the house of the Lord, the temple that way. But I think it's important to recognize it didn't just happen overnight. There was a process of sanctification there, and Certainly, his heart and desire was after the Lord. And I just look at some of our young people tonight. And I, I want all of you to realize that, that you can be little Josiahs. If you love the Lord and you put God above everything else, what can't he do in your life? What can't he do? The, the most amazing expectations. I, I even think of that of our high school students. What can't you do in the Lord if you let God lead you? Our college and career students. 20s and 30s, still young people, right? Especially as you get into your mid-40s and older, right? 30s looks real young, looks real good. But he's 26 years old now, Okay. And he's in the 18th year of that King Josiah that he sent, or that, sorry, the king sent Shephan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest. So we kind of see this happening all coming together. He's got this idea, Josiah, that he may count the money which has been brought in the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. What he's talking about is not the obligatory offering that would have been required at this time. Under the old covenant, they had a tithe. And there was more than just a tithe. It was more than just tenth. It, was, it added somewhere up to like 30 to even 40% of what they made. They were required to give under the old covenant, under the Old Testament teaching. New covenant teaches free will offering, much like what we see, being a hilarious, cheerful giver that way. Different covenant, different requirement that way we see. He, Jesus Christ wants it to be of, certainly of the heart. Free will, never forced. So what we see here is he's describing this as... It's a free will offering. What we would understand today is a free will offering. That's what he's talking about here. So he went up to the priest and he said, hey, look, what I want you to do is go to the doorkeepers, go to all those people that have been collecting the money all these years. And I want to use that free will offering and I'm going to rebuild the temple, the building. Why? Because the focus needs to be on the Lord. 
the focus needs to be on the Lord. Now, I'm not sure if Josiah at this moment even realized how God was going to use this because he's going to come into this temple. They're going to, because of just the disarray of 57 years, the, the, the building, I can't imagine what it looked like. Uh, this is the house of God. This is at this time, this is where the presence of the Lord dwells. Remember that in the old covenant, in the Holy of Holies, in the, you know, the ark there, right between the mercy seat, and the cherubim there. This is the presence of the Lord. This is where he's dwelling. This is where he comes to meet with his people. And they have just let it run down. They have just let it run down. And so, you know, he sees this. And he says, no, this is, this, is not, this is no good. This isn't a place where we just come to worship. Look at all that's going on here, right? His attention turns to the temple, to the place, again, God had ordained for worship. And I think that that's the point. That's how it begins. It begins in our hearts when our hearts turn to God and focus on worship. That's when we begin to, to sort of get it right, okay? And, and again, it's not so much about the building, although we see here in the temple, but it was for the purpose of no distractions. There's a lot that goes into a church service, even a Wednesday or Sunday night service, and so much that I think many times we don't think about it. And we try to do those things, as, as, you know, certainly pastors, overseers, elders, all the servants, deacons, everyone that's involved in this. Why? So there's no distractions so that when you come in, you're comfortable, the climate's sort of right, not too hot, not too cold. You're, you know, the, the, the audio works so you can hear the word, you follow, you have a Bible in your hand. And that's what he's describing here. He's describing that when they went in the temple, people were probably walking in going, you know, oh, this is the house of the Lord. This is what, this is what they've been doing with all the free will offerings. They've been doing nothing. What have they been doing? And so he's drawing his attention like that. And I, again, I think this is an important reminder. And he says, let them deliver into the hands of those doing the work who are the overseers. What, he, what he's describing here is accountability. Now, what I, th what I think is really interesting here as we read this, he describes accountability for the priests, that there needs to be some check or balance here in place to make sure that the priests are handling God's money correctly. Now, what I find interesting here is he doesn't, allow, he doesn't put that same accountability when it comes to the contractors. Those that are going to do the work, he says, no, 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 they're going to do, do the right thing. We don't have to worry. We got to watch the priests, okay? I'm just, we're going to read this. This is what we're seeing here. You talk about fleecing sheep. Right? This is what we're talking about. There's something, you know, we go out of our way at this fellowship to make sure there's, you know, a lot of eyes on what we're doing when it comes to the finances. I never see what anyone gives. Once in a while, I might get a call. Somebody say, oh, for the building project, we want to do, okay, praise the Lord. Thank you. Now go talk to Pastor Bill or, you know, go talk to, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful that I don't have to be a respecter of persons, that I don't know what anybody does, and I, get, I love everyone according to the word of the Lord. I love you all the same, and I'm not looking at anyone better, worse, or indifferent. And I love that freedom Christ gives me. Amen? And it's a beautiful protection of freedom, as James teaches, not to be a respecter of persons. The other thing that is important is, again, whether it's me, anybody here, is that when we have the counting done, there's a process. They fill out a form. There's two people that are there. There's a camera that overlooks what they're doing. 
all of that stuff. Then it gets the positive. Then we have a accountant that checks that. And then we have a pastor that looks at the reconciliation and and then a board that meets monthly right now and goes through all of that and says, well, okay, these numbers add up. Because you know what? I take this word seriously, and so do you. You got to watch the priests, right? You got to watch. It's the Lord's money, and nobody's above that. Nobody's ever above that. And so that's why we do it the way we do it here. So that anybody at any time can come in and look and see and there's no questions asked because they can go, oh, beautiful. This is all being done correctly. So he's talking about this over, uh, overseeing here, this accountability in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair. Circle that in your Bibles if you have pens already. That's the point, to repair, repair, because the temple had become in disarray. The damages of the house. Again, think about it. Two years with Amon. And then 55, or 50, what is it, 55 years, I think it was, with Manasseh. That's a long time, some serious disarray here. To carpenters and builders and masons, those are who were doing the praises, go ahead, just distribute that. And to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there be no, be no accounting made with them. See that? Of the money delivered in their hands, because they deal faithfully. I think that says a whole lot. Underline that in your Bible as well. He said it's not the tradesmen. At this time, what is he talking about? And I sort of made a joke and said, okay, you know, on the pastors, on the priests, and, and what have you. And I was kind of having fun with that. But what Josiah is really saying here, in all transparency and honesty, is he's saying, I don't trust the priests. I don't trust the religious leaders because these are the same men that when my father Manasseh was king and doing wicked, wicked, evil things, none of them stood up and said, no, king, this is an abomination to the Lord. You should not do this. This is wrong. So he doesn't trust them. It's, it's, it's not truly that you've got to watch the priest. It's specific to the fact that he knew that these priests were not trustworthy. They didn't handle the affairs of money well. They weren't they weren't treating God, his building, his money, or anything faithfully that way. But he said the contractors, these men that are going to come in and do their repairs, no, they're going to do it with integrity. They haven't been compromised the way that these priests have been through 57 years of abominable wickedness and evil throughout the land, not seen it like that in any other time in Israel's history, maybe possibly the northern tribes. Then Hilkiah, verse 8, the high priest said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, I think we just need to pause there for a minute. If you walk into a church and there's no Bibles and they don't know what, and, I, and look, I say this because the reality is it breaks my heart today because there are so many places that call themselves churches or, or gathering places of the Lord, and yet you will not find a single Bible in the building. Or maybe there's one, but it's used as a paperweight or something you tuck under your chair. 
you know, I get it. I'm, I'm talking to people that love the Lord and love the Word of God. I'm looking at all of you. You study the Word of God line by line, verse by verse. You've been doing it for years. You've been here. We've been together. We go through the whole council of Genesis all the way to Revelation. I understand that I'm preaching to the choir. But sometimes I think we forget or may not be aware of just how prevalent it is today that when you walk into many buildings, there are no Bibles. The Word of God isn't being taught. And so I can't tell you what is. I just know it's not the Word of the Lord. And we begin to see what happens in a country, in a nation, just like Israel, when the Word of God is not taught. You end up with Manasseh as king. You end up with Amon's as king. And you end up with perversion, perversion as we're going to read here tonight, wickedness, evil, because you took the word of God and you removed it. It's a light for us. It's a light. Would you walk into a room in a complete darkness and, and not try to turn on a light? If you had a light, you would turn on the light because it lights your path as the Psalm teaches, right? So that we can see where we're going and what we're doing. I just think it's interesting that the very presence of God and how long the Lord, again, dealt with this so long suffering. And we're talking about the temple, again, the mercy seat. And for at least 57 years, they didn't even know where the word of God was. They, and when we're talking about this, we don't know if we're just talking about certainly Deuteronomy or if we're talking about the Pentateuch, right? Or Genesis through Deuteronomy at this point, right? They didn't obviously have the whole, the whole Bible, right? Like we do today. But at least Genesis through Deuteronomy, which there's so much in there that speaks to the law and, and, and the things they were to be doing. And they didn't, they didn't have any of that. What were they doing? They weren't practicing the feast days, which was required by the law. They weren't doing any of those things. They had gotten so far away from God that even the high priests, as he says to the scribe, hey, I found the book of the law. I found it. Well, where did you find it? In the house of God. You mean you had to find it in the house of God? That's where you had to go find the Bible? Like you couldn't, it's not expected that everybody would have found it in there, like it was pr prominent, uh, that you would see the word of God? Isn't that hard for us to believe? I mean, it's, it's where God dwelt. It's the temple. He said he, he came and he, remember, this Shekinah glory filled the whole temple, the smoke and everything that came on when the, Solomon dedicated the temple to the Lord just less than 300 years ago. It wasn't that long. This is a big deal. And this is what happens in schools. This is, what, this is why the public education system is a doctrine, and I'm going to say it like it is. I know there's good men and women in the public schools. I want to be careful that there's good men and women that love the Lord that are serving in those public schools. Many of them are handcuffed low. But it's, it, it's a, a, a place of indoctrination. It's a place where the devil is sowing seed to evolution, to the world, and to all the things that are contrary to the word of God. And people willingly send their children there and do all the hard work at home and say, no, 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 honey, no, 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 we don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't. Yet they spend 
They, they come to pastors, we got to get a kid, we got to get the kids saved. We got to get the kids saved. And they spend, a, you know, on Wednesday night, a couple hours, they spend a couple hours on Sunday. And yet for 40 hours a week, they're sitting there listening to that, being perverted by those lies. Somebody just showed me a, in a library today, a book. And it, it, it was talking about, you know, with kids in a rainbow and the whole thing. And it was, it was, it breaks my heart to even describe it to you, but it, it was describing, you know, he, she, what do I want to be called? And you have a transgender man or child sitting on the cover of that book. You don't think they're trying to sow that indoctrination into our children? They absolutely are doing it. It's been taken over. And yet people willingly send their kids there as though somehow they're going to get a better education. I pray to God. I pray to God the Lord protects them there. Because in the, in, the, in the public school system, they kicked the word of God out in the 60s. They took prayer out. And God, everything I know about the Lord in scripture is he's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anyone. You want to do this without me? Do it without me. And you end up with what we have today. Anarchy and indoctrination. And it's demonic. Do you know that they even have Satanist clubs in public schools today? Satanist clubs. We can't teach the children the Bible in school because we're afraid we're going to, you know, put those thoughts in there. But we can teach them about the devil and worship. And, and, and in fairness, a lot of parents have no idea. They don't. They don't know. You can talk to teachers that work in the public school. They'll tell you. They'll tell you what it's like. They ask for a lot of prayer. It's hard. They're, praise God for them, the, the Christian teachers that are in there that are, that are fighting the good fight. Because certainly we're not to just, you know, we, we need to go in and, 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 you know, bring the gospel. Bring the gospel. Get these kids saved. But it breaks my heart. And it, it, it's no different than this. Right? He, they walk into the house of God and we just found the Bible. What have you been doing in there? What have you been teaching on? Don't you remember the kings? We'll, we'll look back at it in a minute here. God commanded a king to do what? He was to write out the scriptures. Each king was to write out the scripture. And there was to be a reading. They were to, they were, as kings, they were to be reading this to the people. They were, the priests were to be teaching. And the scribes were to be writing these things down. So what were they doing for 57 years? You know what they were doing? They were worshiping in the high places. They began to erect pagan gods. They began to erect everything that was abominable, prostitution, all of these terrible things that were going on and worship to these false pagan gods in hopes that nobody righteous would stand up and say, enough is enough. Enough is enough. These are our babies. This is the next generation. We can't possibly let these lies, these abominable teachings, these things fall on the hearts of these little children. Would we not do anything to protect them? Would you not stand in front of a bullet to protect one of these children? And yet how much more the mind, the helmet of salvation that the Bible teaches that these young ones are to put on. And yet they're, they're so often sacrificed. 
He says, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and underline this in your Bible. He read it. He read it. How long had this been going on? How far did they get from God and not even recognize it? You know what I mean? They didn't even recognize this as a problem. And I believe that's what's happened predominantly in the church today, in Christianity. How far, how far have men and women and children gotten from the Bible and the word of God and Jesus Christ? And I don't know what they're learning. But they're not being taught the word of God, which is a... It's 66 love letters from the Lord and how to live your life in a way that, a ple you know, that pleases God and how he desires to protect you and keep you because he loves you and you're precious in his sight. And when you give your heart to the Lord, there's nothing he can't do through you. Each one of you can be Josiah's. You read your word. You read the Bible. You ask your parents to read the Bible. You, you spend time in the word of God. So Chopin, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king the word, saying, your servant had gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of those who do the work and oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. So he speaks directly to the king now and begins to sort of, I think the king now starts to begin to understand. Remember, he was eight years old when he became king. He didn't know all that. He's now being taught the word. And his heart, as we're going to read here, it breaks. He is so upset. He is so disgusted that it, this has been kept from him. It, he's been cheated. Did, I don't know about you. I felt that way. Did you feel that way the first time you read the Bible and it, it opened up and the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart and you saw the word and you, you know, I grew up in a church in a denomination where the Bible wasn't taught that way. Maybe a verse here, maybe a verse there. And I'm not picking on, you know, Roman Catholicism. That's where I, I grew up in the church. And we, I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know, we, I knew how to do the, you know, I could stand up, sit down, stand up. I knew that. I knew the, our father to repeat over and over again. I knew how to say the rosary, which isn't in my Bible. I knew how to do all these other things but I didn't know anything about the relationship with my Lord Jesus Christ. I, I'm being honest with you. I didn't, I didn't know any of that. And again, I'm not picking on the Roman Catholic. I'm just saying I didn't understand that. Maybe there are Catholics out there that do get that and read their Bibles and praise the Lord, but I, I didn't understand any of that. And I know what it felt like when the first time I read the Bible, I, I immediately went to the, I said, hey, I got to talk. I made an appointment with the priest. My wife can remember. I remember sitting down going, hey, we got to talk you got some explaining to do. You know, I, I, I'm kind of, for some of the younger people, you don't know what I'm talking about. That was supposed to be a, that was supposed to be an I Love Lucy. All right, some of you are tracking with me. All right, yeah, some of the young people are like, I don't know what he's talking about. All right. You got some explaining to do, Lucy, right? You got some explaining to do. I turned around and I looked at him. I said, what is going on here? And I said, it says in the Bible, we're not to worship anything like a graven image. Why do we have statues everywhere? And why are we bound to Mary? And why are we doing a rosary? I'm not supposed to pray to her. Well, it's not exactly what we mean. Well, then what do we mean? Again, I'm not trying to knock her. I went with an earnest answer. I went with earnest questions. And honestly, the priest, I, I have to give him credit. He did his best to answer them for me. 
He did his best to answer. And then he referred to other books that are what we would call catechism, extra biblical writings. He says, this is why we did this. This is, this is our tradition. This is what we did. He gave me an explanation, and I appreciated that. Because at least I understood. Because honestly, was Judaism that much different? Judaism had a book of tradition, didn't they? Oral traditions that were taught in addition to the law. And we so quickly look to, to Judaism, and we look to our unsaved Jewish, you know, uh, they're God's chosen people. We love them. I pray you love them. You, you pray for them. Genesis 12 teaches you that. Those that pray for Israel will be, you know, blessed, and those who bless Israel, you know, those who don't will be cursed. You know, it's very clear in Genesis. Well, I turned around, and I, 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 it was like the light bulb went on. I went, well, how is it any different? If someone was Jewish and they were going back and following the traditions of the law, I would come back to them and say, you're missing it. It's wrong what you're doing. You need a relationship with Jesus. You need a relationship with the Lord. Wouldn't we do that? Wouldn't we, wouldn't we want our, our Jewish brothers and sisters to know Messiah, Jesus, who they, they await, who's come already, but they are, as they would say, awaiting? Of course we would. It would be disingenuine to do anything different. Why is it any different, for example, with Roman Catholicism when they're taking something addition, tradition, or I'm not going to compare them in direct contrast, but the Mormons, okay? The Book of Mormon when you've got something different, or take the Jehovah's Witnesses, or take Islam. You starting to get the point here? You starting to see how this works, tradition, and all of these other books, and all of these other writings, and all the, and yet, all they truly are, is distractions from the one true God. And that's the work of the enemy. And there are good men and women, just like Josiah. He was a godly boy. He's eight years old. He grew up, he didn't read the Bible. He didn't know it, but he was a godly young man, wasn't he? In a wicked nation. But when he hears the word of God, watch what it does in his life. And why is this so important? Again, hold, hold your finger here. Turn to Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter 17, please. A few books to your left. More than a few, but. Look, look at verse 14 with me. I mean, after all, if you're a king, you want to know the things you're supposed to be doing, right? And, and the things the Lord has for you. And God was very specific to put this in the word of God in the book of Deuteronomy of how they were to handle, you know, the office of a king. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses one from among your brethren. You shall set a king over you and you may not set a foreigner over you, you shall, who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself. He's talking about armies there. Because the people were turned to Egypt to multiply horses, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return the way again. You're not going to go back to the world. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself. He's to be a, a one man, you know, one woman king. Monogamy, mono, you know, monogamous relationship. One man, one woman forever. Notice that. That's, that was God's design here. Lest he turn his heart away, or so he shall greatly multiply, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. All these things, right? And we look at the, the pagan kings that came up. Did they not, you know, break all of these things that God said? Why? And what did it lead? Even David. 
wonderful king. But what did Bathsheba, what did that do? That led to such heartbreak, his loss of his firstborn child that way. I mean, all of the consequences of that and sin. He was so brokenhearted by, about that. And I, I think of, of Solomon and, and the thousand wives. He didn't just break this once. He broke it a thousand times. 700 wives, 300 concubine. A thousand times he broke this, this commandment by God. Not just once, but a thousand times. And look at how he got drawn into, from a godly youth, to drawn into such pagan worship. He did not finish well. He started well, but he didn't finish well. It says you're not to, to greatly multiply silver or gold for himself. If God wants to do that, that's fine. But that's not what the king is to seek after. Also shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write himself, here it is, a copy of the law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites. Do you see that there? What God is saying is the book that it's supposed to be in the temple that's supposed to be taught and read by the priests and Levites, the king himself is supposed to hand write that book so that God presses those things onto his heart and he reigns as a righteous, godly king. You see that? So Josiah, I imagine, here he is, 26-something years old now, come to find out there's this book that he hadn't been told about, didn't grow up with it. His father Manasseh, you know, Amon was wicked. His grandfather Manasseh was wicked. He doesn't know anything about this. He now finds this book, and I'm sure, as you know, we just read, you know, Hilkiah, you know, he was reading this to him. I, I can't help but thinking he probably, you know, Shapan or whoever read to him, feeling cheated. I've been lied to. I've been deceived my whole life. I've been cheated with this. How come I didn't have this in my home? How come I wasn't raised to know these things? Do you know how many things I could have done differently had I only known God's heart in these matters? And that's why I think about our youth, our, our young people, our, our teenagers, our college, to grow up with the Bible. Much is given, much is required. To grow up with the full counsel of the word. I didn't grow up in a house like that. I think it's wonderful what the parents have done here by encouraging their children to come into children's ministry. This Friday, they have a, a, an event where they're going to be getting together. I, if you haven't signed up, I pray you do. They're going to come together. They're going to read the word. They're going to do art. They're going to come together and, and, and come in unity. They're going to even watch a movie together and have fun, you know? Like-minded, not having to worry about filth, not having to worry about competing with all this other job. They're going to have a beautiful time with purity. Can you think of anything else you'd want for your children? The word of God. And then, like I said, all of us, we're children of God, right? Wow. When we learned the word. And, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this point out. I'm hammering it because I want everybody to understand, just as God and the Holy Spirit does, how significant and important this is. Because from this point, he was already a godly man. Amen? He was a godly man. You watch what happens now. And the zeal and the passion he has as a king, once he begins to understand perfectly, or as close to perfectly as he can through the word, the heart of the Lord. He gets after it. He gets after it once he knows. So Shaphan the scribe went to bring the king the word, saying, Your servant gathered the money and was found in the house, and he delivered it into the hand of those who do the work. 
who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Why do you think he did that? Why did he tear his clothes? He was mourning. He was angry. He was broken. Young people, don't rip your clothes. Mom and dad bought you those clothes. Don't rip your clothes. Don't, this is not telling you to rip your clothes. The point is, is this is a way in Scripture that is broken. He's burdened. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Anakim, Anakim the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Machahiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Azariah, or Asiah, excuse me, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all of Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath, that means judgment, of the Lord that is aroused against us. Now he's beginning to understand the implications of all that was laid out, all that God had promised to the nation of Israel. If you obey me, it will be well for you in the land. If you disobey me, then you should expect judgment to come and wrath to come. Now, I would love for revival to come to the United States of America. I, I pray for it. But I'm not surprised that judgment is before us and wrath is before us. I'm just not surprised by that because of the wickedness and the abominations that are happening in this land. Abortion, murdering babies, teaching young people and people that homosexuality, you know, that that's somehow okay. You know, just because the Supreme Court voted on it or made it a law. What does the word of the Lord say? Because our fathers, he says it right here, he, he understands it perfectly. See, that's what happens when we read the word of God. We begin to see the truth from where we are and what we've been doing compared to what the world is telling us is okay to do. There's compromise in the world. We get to the word of God, it becomes very linear, very clear. We're obeying or we're disobeying. There is nothing in the middle. There are absolutes with the word of God. Amen? And I'm grateful for that. He says that the Lord is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. He gets it. He's convicted, right? And he also understands there's a great concern because he loves the people. So Hilkiah the priest... Echim, Argbor, Shaphan, and Asiah went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. So the husband there, he's the tailor, and he's actually the tailor for the king. His wife is known as a prophetess. She's one that speaks as a mouthpiece for the Lord. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. That, that tells us that would have been the poor district. She's from a poor area, okay? And they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. This is heavy. Here, Josiah has done all the right things. He, he's lived according to God's commandments, statutes, and judgment. He's done what's right at that time. 
But there's still a consequence to sin, friends. There's still a consequence to sin. And that's what we're seeing today. Because of the sin of our fathers, because of the sin of the nation, because of the things that are going on that you didn't do. But there's nothing stopping you from turning to the Lord and following him and being that remnant. You could be the one. You could be the Josiah that God is going to raise up to tell this nation and these people, we can't do this. It's abominable to the Lord. It's evil. Turn from our path. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read because they have forsaken me and burned incense. He tells them why? To other gods because of their worship, right? He says, Josiah, it's too late for me to turn away my wrath. It's too late, Josiah, that they may provoke me to anger with all their works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath, the judgment, shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. That's heavy, isn't it, friends? Yes, it is. And you think about that today. You think about the times we're living, the things we're seeing happen, the way it has occurred at this point. Remember, we can remember that turning point when it began to spin out of control and it kept going faster and faster. Friends, we're there. We're there in our nation. We're there in the world. And the idea is not to go back. It's not to, with all due love and respect to this country, it's not to save the United States of America. I know there's pastors teaching that. They don't mean, pray for them. It's not what God has caused us to do. It's not biblical. We are not to save the United States of America. We're to save men, women, and children in the United States of America so that those men and women can go out and reproduce and save others as the Lord should tarry so that they will not go through the great tribulation, which is ultimately what? God's wrath and judgment. We have to stop trying to save a nation and start by saving individuals. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against, aroused against this place and shall not be quenched because for the king of Judah, who, but as for the king of Judah, excuse me, who you sent or who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. This is talking to Josiah, who did righteously, right? Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because he knew that would be heavy for him, right? He's speaking to his individual heart, not the nation. Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants. How did he hear that initially? Do you remember? It was when he found the Bible. And he opened the book and he read it. And the Lord spoke to him. What is the primary way that God speaks to us? Through his word. Now do you see the problem with churches not reading the Bible? Not having the word of God when it's the predominant way he speaks to us? If you attend a church and you hear this and the Bible's not being taught at that church, I encourage you to find a church where the Bible is being taught. That's my encouragement for everyone. 
I don't care how much family and friends or whatever's going on there. It's not a popularity contest. You need to find a place where the word of God is being taught, especially in these last days. He says, I spoke against that place, against the inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. You see that? Josiah was broken for what was happening in his nation. He's broken. He says, I also have heard you. God hears us when we cry and when we're sad and when we need him and we reach out and cry out to him, help me, help now, save now says the Lord, surely therefore I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. He gives this beautiful promise to Josiah because you know what? Josiah chose to follow who? The Lord. He chose to follow God in spite of what everybody else was doing around him. Didn't he? He chose to follow God no matter what anybody else was doing. And God blessed him with a perfect peace. He says that you're going to go to your grave in peace. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to end it for you. You're not going to have to worry. I'll turn this whole thing around. No, he already declared the wrath that's going to come. He's already declared it. It's written in Revelation chapter 6. The great tribulation is coming. It's, it, nothing's going to change that. Nothing is, nothing's going to change that. There might be a pause button pushed through revival. Only God knows if he chooses to do that to give a little bit more time Right? We're looking for that last Gentile that needs to get his butt in the church, right? Get him saved so we, you know, we can, we're out of here. And I mean that respectfully, of course. <laughs> Wherever he is, please now. <laughs> and your eyes shall not see the calamity which I will bring on this place. He says, you won't see it. So they brought back the word to the king. Now, I want to be careful because as we look at this, we, Josiah is going to... He's going to make a blunder. He's going to, as we'll read in chapter 23, well, we'll probably stop here uh, for tonight, but as we go into chapter 23, he's going to have a blunder. He's, he's going to um, have a situation where the king of Assyria, uh, there's Egypt, there's a whole lot going on at that time, and what he's going to do is he's going to go and join and go to a battle that he was never called by the Lord to go to. And as a matter of fact, God was going to bring judgment through that battle. And so what happens is Josiah sort of gets involved and God had not called him to get involved in that. And because he gets involved in that battle, it's going to lead to his death. And so some people read this passage and go, wait a minute. How does it, how do you figure he died in peace? He died in battle. This isn't a contradiction. This is not what this is talking about, like that he wasn't going to die. What this is describing Right? You see the difference is that while he is in power in that nation as a king, that God ultimately isn't going to bring that wrath during that time. Just like he promised in 1 Thessalonians 5 that he's not going to bring the wrath against the church while the bride of Christ is here. It's not until the bride of Christ is taken up through the rapture of the church that then and only then because the hand has been removed being the Holy Spirit being removed at that time, that what will happen is we will see, we'll, we'll look down from the mezzanines, right? From heaven, because we'll be with our Lord. We'll be looking down and maybe, or we'll be seeing it at the wedding feast of the Lamb and we'll understand all that's going to befall and the wickedness, the evil, the death. 
And none of it needed to happen. None of the people that are going to go through the great tribulation needed to be there. If they just repented and turned their hearts to the Lord, they wouldn't have to experience a, such a devastation on earth that's never been experienced before. I think of all the storms. We've had bad storms, haven't we, on this earth? Earthquakes, tsunamis, terrible things that kill hundreds, thousands of people. Wars. It's, that's nothing. Nothing compared to what the great tribulation is going to be like. And God's judgment is righteous. But he says to him, no, you will not. You are not going to be part of that. It's in verse 28 of chapter 23 that we'll read it. But he says, so they brought back word to the king. And it just, it just you know, I invite our musicians to come up. It's, it's just such peace to my heart here tonight as we gather because God is so good to the humble, isn't he? Do you see that in Josiah's life? God is so good to the humble. The way he said to Josiah, Josiah, I heard your prayers. I saw and heard your tears, Josiah. God's going to honor that. So I guess the question I have here for our young people, because he was eight years old. And then I think of our high schoolers, and then I think of our college and career, our teens and everybody else. The question is, who doesn't want to be a Josiah? Who doesn't want to stand up and follow the Lord and be like Josiah was with all of his heart? Because I assure you, there's always going to be someone or something that's going to try to you know, pull you away from the truth of the Lord. I promise you that. But if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you're all in, if you follow the Lord, no matter where you're at, no matter who your parents are, God can do a great work in your hearts. And who knows, maybe through you, he'll lead the next revival. Maybe it's one of you that's going to lead the next revival for this nation because we could sure, we could sure use the Lord's leading in that. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray and we'll, we'll close there this evening. And again, our young people in here, if you want to talk to one of us tonight, one of the pastors, we're going to be here. Uh, that means all of you, if you're 80, you're a young person here tonight. Hey, maybe God's calling you to be Josiah. Whoever you are tonight, if the Lord's tugging on your heart and he's pulling on your heart to be that Josiah, then what are you waiting for? Dedicate your life to him and get after it. Amen. Father, we just thank you for your holy word. We thank you for this wonderful account. We thank you for the life of Josiah, Lord. The fact that you have raised up Josiah's uh, generation by generation, God. And it's such an encouragement to us all because, Lord, we know it, it only takes one generation, as we saw with Manasseh and as we saw with Amon, Lord, one generation to where even in the house of the Lord, the word of God is not taught. The word of God is abandoned. People are doing what's right in their own eyes. And Lord, they've forsaken you. Forgive us, Lord. Not, not necessarily Calvary Chapel, hear us, but Lord, the nation, the people, the churches, the, the, those that have forsaken your word for another. 
Oh, Lord God, have mercy. Please, Lord, turn the hearts of your people back to your word. Lord, may you create Josiah's from this place here tonight and send them out, Lord, to all of these places that, Lord, uh, even these pastors, Lord, these teachers, these men would feel a little tug on their, their leg. They'd look down and, Lord, one of these young ones would have a Bible in their hand and say, Pastor, I think you need this. I think you need this. Oh, God, that's my heart's prayer tonight. And I pray, Jesus, that you will move on the hearts of your young people, your teenagers, Lord. We need, we need them to stand up in the high schools, Lord. If they're in these public schools, stand up against the evil. We need them, in the, Lord, in the colleges. Please, Lord, these, these places of indoctrination, Lord, they're teaching such blasphemy against you, Lord God. Forgive us for, Lord, what we allow in this nation, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for coming to the humble and the downtrodden. And thank you for hearing and seeing all that go on in your people's heart. We love you, Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in your holy name and all God's people prayed. Amen.
to Jesus, doesn't everything just, all the hope, everything changes, man. Everything becomes so crystal clear. No sorrow, sadness, none of that. Just joy, rejoicing and hope. Because Jesus, our King, He's alive and well, and He's coming back to take us home. And when we keep our eyes and our focus on that, oh man, there's work to be done for this kingdom. Father, I pray, send your people out, Lord. As we go in the mission field here tonight and tomorrow, Lord, if you allow us a day, I pray, God, that uh, we would be very deliberate to tell all those we meet your truth and love, to draw them to your word, to a personal relationship with you, and to bring you the glory and honor that you rightly deserve, Lord. Praise you, our Father, we praise you, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. In your holy name, we pray all these things. Amen. God bless you, and I love you all.